0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today, ready to study the Bible with us. And that's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is try to find answers to your questions in the Bible. Uh, Hopefully you've called one in or put one on our website in the last few weeks, and hopefully we'll get to it today, but we go as fast as we can, and hopefully we'll get to yours. If you've got one, uh, or maybe something we say makes you think of something, uh, give us a question. You direct this program. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to discuss. We we'll try to go to the Bible and find an answer to just about anything you can you can come up with. So that's what we do here. And when I say we, I mean me and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we've got lots of good ones saved up, but we always got one for our viewing audience. So here's the first one: How did Joseph's brothers get rid of him? A little sibling rivalry in that family, and Joseph's brothers didn't like him. And I uh, got rid of him some way, so <laughs> we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. All right, looks like you drew the number one question today, Toby. I did. The viewer wants to know, what, is it, what does
1: it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment mean? All right, well... i It seems that this viewer has been reading their Bible or maybe is a regular viewer of the program and possibly have been studying along through Hebrews. And you will find this statement made in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Uh, The the context of it, Hebrews uh, is written, and we'll uh, read the verse here, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Uh, the context of it, Hebrew, Hebrews, why it's called the book of Hebrews, it was written to Hebrew Christians, uh, those who had come a, away from a different uh, covenant and a different system into the new covenant of Jesus. And that writer compares the old ways with the new. In fact, he uses the, the, the word better uh, several times throughout that letter. And the idea here is that Christ... Uh, was sacrificed one time, and as compared to under the old system, they made multitude of sacrifices, many times uh, over their lives. Uh, in this context, uh, our when the writer's talking about death, he's saying that's a one-time event. Uh, When you die, you go to what we think of as the realm of the dead, uh, some called it Hades. And it's simply a waiting place. But but where you wait shows where your destiny or where your eternity will be. And so uh, after you die, where you end up is settled. There is no changing um, where you go once you die. You can't. Uh, no one here can change it, and no one there can change it. It's a settled matter, um, and that sounds rather scary, and and it is indeed a scary matter if you're not in Christ. So the Hebrew writer would would point us to what what would do about that, and the only way to be ready is to be in Christ. And that's the only way to be ready for either your death or the return of Jesus. So that's where you find it, Hebrews 9.27. And uh, the, the basic meaning of it is after you die, uh, where you end up in eternity is pretty much set. And, and so we need to be ready before we die. I hope that uh, helps you.
0: All right. If you were to get a contention here with a verse in the Bible, it says Jesus was supposed to be called Emmanuel. Well, where did Jesus come from? Well, if you read one part of one verse, I understand exactly what our viewer is saying. So let's read that one part of one verse. Matthew 1, verse 23 says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Most of us know what that name means, and it's in some Christmas carols and other things. Uh, So our viewer read that and says, Well, the angel said his name was supposed to be Emmanuel why'd they call him Jesus well once again read a little bit around it get the whole story and you'll find the answer so let's read verses 20 through 23 and we'll see the whole story an angel of the Lord appeared to him Joseph in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not fear to take Mary as your wife for what she's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there we have the whole story. The angel told Joseph they're going to name him Jesus, and all of this is happening to fulfill the prophecy that God is going to live with us. That's what they'll call him, God with us. Okay, so during his life, Jesus was called Jesus, probably 99% of the time. Uh, but there's a prophecy in Isaiah that says the virgin will bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. Let's uh, think of it this way that's what we recognize him as. This is a a prophecy about a whole lot more than just the 30 years that Jesus lived on earth. Uh, while he was here, I imagine very few people called him Emmanuel. Uh, but since then, and to this day, we still call him Emmanuel. We recognize him as God incarnate, as God with us. Uh, I was trying to think of a way of illustrating I thought George Washington... Uh, his name was George, and I don't think anybody called him anything other than that or general. But now we say he was the father of our country. Uh, his name is called the father of our country. Abraham Lincoln, we call the great emancipator. I don't think anybody in Lincoln's life probably called him the great emancipator. Uh, his name was Abraham. So that's kind of how it works. That Isaiah was saying this is who this is going to be it's going to be god with us but the angel specifically said you name him jesus you call him jesus
1: all right uh, the next question is asked by a viewer how did noah fit all the animals on the ark well it's a, seems like a big challenge when you think about fitting all the animals but when you look closely at the biblical story you see it's well within the realm of possibility Uh, My first answer, uh, part of the answer, is that the ark was plenty big enough to fit all the animals. Um, We read in Scripture that it was to be two of every kind, of the birds after their kind, the animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. That seems like a lot, Uh, but when when you look at what the dimensions of the ark were, uh, according to God's instructions, uh, do a little calculation, you'll see it was uh, quite a large uh, vessel. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it, and leaving below the roof an opening about 18 inches high all around. Uh, make a door in the side of the ark, and middle, uh, lower, middle, and upper decks. Uh, when we begin to see, and just thinking about the scale of, uh, of the ark and uh, the size of it, uh, if you do some... Uh, calculations you come up with there was about 1.5 million cubic feet of storage space Uh, and there's three levels to that and lots of rooms Um, what exactly that looked like we don't know with precision but we can know the measurements of it with great precision Um, some people have done some calculations uh, using the size of all the different kinds of animals An estimated as low as 50,000 kinds of animals could be put on there, all the way up to 100,000. A lot of it depends on how old and how mature the animals that came. If they were younger, they would have. could have fit a lot more on there. If they were older, obviously there would have been less room. But uh, some people think about all those animals, plus the food, plus the water, uh, plus all the things that animals produce. Uh, how would you keep all that in one vessel? Well, there was a lot of room, and uh, it was organized in different levels and by different rooms. Uh, if we take the measurements and we put that into perspective, some people have uh, put this picture together, and I thought it was kind of interesting. You put an arc. Uh, and it covers a football field and a half Uh, and of course it's 75 feet wide and 45 feet high if you kind of get that if you're getting ready to watch football or if you're avid football fan and you just place the arc over that field uh, you can see very quickly it was uh, very very large so uh it, there's a modern example uh with the um ark museum out in Kentucky i got a picture it, of it of the uh ark that was that's is already constructed, but here it is under construction, and you get a, a real clear picture of just how large it is with these cranes and uh, cars in the picture. And just comparatively, you can see that this was a very, very large uh, structure. And Again, we don't know that the arc looked exactly like that, but the dimensions are very, very close. So uh, there's a lot of room and uh, certainly plenty of room to get all the animals on there. I hope that helps.
0: All righty. I think he did it somehow. I <laughs>
1: think he got him on
0: there. <clears throat> All right. viewer wants to know, is there any way Satan could be saved even if he repented? <coughs> uh, I'll tell you what. We'll get to that in just a second. Let me tell you a good way to study the Bible first. I got a little ahead of myself. I'm so excited about answering that question. Uh, <laughs> we've got lots of good ways to study the Bible. And we've got some tools that we're happy to send you through the mail and let you study the Bible with us on Know Your Bible Study Tools. Here's the first set. There's eight lessons in it. It's a good overview, good non-denominational Bible study that just helps you understand your Bible. And we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to keep you studying uh, the Bible for quite a while. After you finish that first course you can keep right on going and we've recently added a online course that we're happy to be able to uh, provide for you log onto that website and it'll connect you to us so that we can get you a uh, the can download and a grader and all the things you need to uh, take a course online and you don't have to wait for anything in the mail or uh, send anything back to us it just happens on your phone or your iPad or your computer much easier in a lot of ways and some people are a lot more comfortable with that so we're glad we've got that new option for you so give us a call log on any of those websites let us know that you'd like to study the Bible we get it started all right let's get back to Satan now Uh, is there any way Satan could be saved even if he repented well interesting question interesting thought question uh, in theory, somebody would sit down and say, Well, he had free will, evidently, because he chose to rebel. He chose to rebel, got kicked out of heaven is the way we understand it. And if he chose to rebel, well, maybe someday he would choose to repent. So in theory, we can say, ah, Maybe. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of things that would make me say, No, it's not going to happen. Uh, number one, the odds are so low because of... Who Satan is, uh, how hard his heart is. Uh, just look at the way the Bible talks about him, <clears throat> and you'd say I don't think there's a repentant <laughs> uh, part of his heart at all. Uh, here's some of the titles that scriptures give Satan, and uh, let's look at those. That he's called the enemy. He's called the father of lies. He's called a deceiver, a schemer, a thief. He's proud, he's wicked, he's violent, he's a murderer, and he's the evil one. Now, when you get called the evil one by God, uh, you're pretty far gone. Uh, You're probably not going to turn to repentance anytime soon. Uh, The Bible talks about people with hardened hearts that just won't repent. And I think Satan's is so hardened uh, that, no, he's probably no chance of him repenting. Uh, the other thing to consider is that uh, he's really already been judged. He's been cast out of heaven. That was a pretty serious sin to get you cast out of heaven. He was cast out of heaven, and he's been assigned a place, a place has been made for him. Uh, we call it hell. It's the lake of fire, and it's been prepared for the devil and his angels. So uh, in that sense, I don't think Satan's going to repent. Uh, he's already been judged, he's been cast out, he's awaiting his final uh, sentencing at the end of time, and don't think Satan's going to be repenting. So that's my best guess on that one. (laughs) I think you're probably right on that. Okay,
1: next question is from a viewer who wants to know, should we use wine or grape juice for communion? Well, first century Jews uh, used the fruit of the vine, Uh, That would uh, obviously using the juice from the grape uh, for their Passover meal. And in that time, of course, was a time without modern refrigeration. And so if you let the grape grape juice sit, it naturally begins to ferment uh, into what they called wine. What they called wine was a far different thing from what we call wine, because we have modern uh, wine distillation processes, and that process makes the alcohol content much, much higher in uh, our wine than what it was in their uh, wine. Uh, Theirs was fermented naturally, um, and uh, ours was processed, run through a a process that gave it just... much higher content of alcohol so uh, modern grape juice is closer to what they would have used if we were if we we're seeking to do it as they did it and as Jesus presented it uh, grape juices in our world is the closest thing that we have uh, that would have been um, close to what they had uh, in addition I think using wine creates some problems if we think through it a little bit um, First of all, alcohol is a stumbling block for some people. Uh, if you uh, are an alcoholic yourself or if you have known people and you just choose to abstain, uh, that you're taking something that you want to participate in, but you're using a, a means that you normally wouldn't use, uh, you wouldn't normally partake in wine. Uh, I think with with people who are underage, who are uh, not able to, um, uh, shouldn't be consuming it, uh, and then in the in the service, the uh, uh, would be drinking something that technically they shouldn't. So those are a couple of uh, issues that I think wine creates some problems that grape juice doesn't. So. Where I land on it is, I think, grape juice is the best and the wisest and probably closest to what Jesus used. And, of course, it's really not about any of that. It, it's These are symbols for what what Jesus was doing. The point is to use those symbols to remember what Jesus did and to keep that in mind as we go through our worship service. So let's look at this from Scripture's perspective, Luke chapter 22, 19-20. And he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood so i hope that's helpful for you i think grape juice is uh, probably closest and probably the best thing to use
0: all right the viewer that's been reading the bible here and says i hear a lot about the seven-year tribulation but I can't find it in the Bible. Can you explain? Uh, well, I can explain that very quickly. You can't find it in the Bible because it's not in the Bible. And I know that's hard for a lot of our viewers uh, who have really seriously got into premillennial doctrine and I read the Left Behind series and things like that. Because you read all of that, and it sounds like seven-year tribulation is just all the way through the Bible. You can find it everywhere. Uh, You see some preachers on TV that that's what they specialize in, is trying to forecast the end times and relate it to everything today. And they'll put up this big chart with a seven year tribulation after the rapture and during the tribulation they've got all kinds of verses. Daniel says this and Isaiah says this and Revelation says this and this viewer, kind of made the mistake of going to read the Bible instead of reading their charts. And if you read the Bible, you can't find the seven-year tribulation. Just not there. Now, the Bible talks about tribulations, uh, times of tribulation for God's people. Uh, A lot of it's back in Daniel and Isaiah, other Old Testament prophets talking about the Jewish captivities and the Jewish exiles and and all of that. Daniel talks about 70 weeks in symbolic language. and Some people say, well, the last week is what the tribulation is, and that's where a week has seven days, so the tribulation is going to have seven years. Uh, Daniel talks about 42 months, which is three and a half years. So they say, well, you double that, and you've got a seven-year tribulation. And <clears throat> So if you take enough pieces and put them together in a huge theory, uh, it sounds kind of believable, but I don't mean to call premillennialism a conspiracy theory, but uh, it, in a way it is, a conspiracy theory, once somebody's put all these ideas down and little clues from here and there and all that, once you read it, it yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I can see that, but you've got to buy into the big picture that there was this conspiracy, uh, and the premillennial doctrines kind of like that. The Bible tells us how the world's going to end. It tells us Jesus is going to come back one time. Uh, everybody's going to be raised, both the wicked and the righteous, that we're going to be judged and sentenced to our eternal destiny. and that'll all happen at once. Uh, there's no first coming and then tribulations and then second comings and all that. Uh, so, if you can't find it in the Bible, I understand that seven-year tribulation is not in the Bible. All right, let me invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We've keep kept on the air by different churches of Christ that uh, appreciate what this program does and help us pay the bills, so we like to thank a few of them each week. Uh, Today, let me thank a lot of them up in South Dakota, one of our newer markets. Uh, The folks up in South Dakota are few and far between, lots of uh, open spaces up there, and we appreciate the churches in Mitchell and Watertown and Brookings. Uh, All of them are partners with us up in the South Dakota area. And if you're watching this program and maybe you're looking for a church home and you're close to Mitchell or Watertown or Brookings, uh, stop in and visit the Church of Christ. Uh, Maybe you know somebody that goes to the Church of Christ. Uh, Tell them you've been watching Know Your Bible and saw them advertised and uh, appreciate them keeping us on the air. So thanks to those folks up in South Dakota and uh, to all the Churches of Christ in our viewing area. Wherever you're watching, there's probably a Church of Christ near you and we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. All, all right. right. What you got, Toby? Well,
1: a viewer wants to know uh, about a Bible verse, kind of. Uh, does it say in the Bible, if you have committed one sin, then you have committed them all? And my answer to that is, I, th- I think I know the verse you're referring to. It's in James chapter 2, verse 10, and we'll look at this on the screen together. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So what does this mean? It sounds awfully harsh. I mean is is that really God's standard? Well, in in one sense, yes. And the law was the holy standard of God. And what James here is saying is that our our uh, righteousness If you will, is a list of our good deeds. You might hear people say, "Well, I'm basically a good person," you know, and then they start listing things. Well, I give to charity, and I'm a family man, and you know, just kind of list up your good deeds. But when you when you kind of begin to think about what is God's standard of holiness and righteousness, it's described in the Old Testament law. That's God's perfect standard, and. Uh, No one has ever fully met that standard except for one person, uh, his son, Jesus Christ. And outside of that, whether you broke one single solitary command or whether you broke all of them, uh, you fell short of God's perfect standard of righteousness and holiness. The book of Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, The point is that our sin, be it great or small, many or few, uh, separates us from God. Uh, My sin, Steve's sin, your sin, uh, our sin (laughs) separates us from God. And the only way to find forgiveness for that is through Jesus Christ. We all need uh, His atonement. Uh, We need the forgiveness that comes through Him. We need the mercy of God through His sacrifice. And we need the grace uh, that is through His Son. And so uh, it, this points us to yes, we all fall short, and we all are in need of a savior. So I hope that's where the verse is, and hope that helps you understand it.
0: Okay, the viewer wants to know about ordination. How can you be ordained to do weddings, etc.? Well, uh, let me put it this way: It depends on where you live. Uh, depends on a couple of things. Depends on number one, the state. Different states have different laws. Uh, In Kansas, for instance, uh, where we broadcast from, you really don't need much of anything. You just sign the wedding certificate and put down a title, and that's all they require. Uh, In other states, it's more difficult. Uh, I had a wedding scheduled in Virginia one time, and I called to see what I had to do, and I had to show up at the courthouse. I had to bring papers with me that proved I was a minister. Uh, and I had to be sworn in as an officer of the court were their rules. So things are different in different states. Uh, the other thing it depends on is the religion that you want to be ordained in. Different uh, churches, different denominations, different groups have different requirements. So some of them you have to go to seminary. Some of them they don't. So you got to know all that before I can tell you what you have to do to be ordained to do weddings. Now, there is one other option, and you can get a minister's ordination certificate online if you want to by paying a few dollars. Uh, I looked a few of them up, and actually I got kind of stuck reading them because it was so funny. Uh, But there's all kinds of places that hand out ordination papers. Uh, There's one you can get a basic ordination package for $49.99. And for $11.99, you can get a clergy parking pass. So you can park wherever clergy can park for $11.99. So all kinds of deals on the Internet. I will offer this caveat. Uh, One of them that offers ordination papers uh, talked about doing weddings. said, this is a low-start-up-cost business to earn big money. Uh, ministers frequently ask for offerings of one hundred and forty dollars to six hundred and fifty dollars and more depending on the time and effort so if you're asking this question because you think it's a low-startup-cost business and you can get rich doing weddings, uh, I would counsel you against that. <laughs> but if you want to try, then go right ahead. So it depends on the state, depends on the religion, uh, but you can get ordained all sorts of ways in this old world.
1: I'm intrigued just by the parking pass. That <laughs> yeah. sounds pretty good. We can get you one of those.
0: <laughs> all right, how did Joseph's brothers get rid of him? And Joseph's brothers, there were 11 of them, uh, they didn't like Joseph. Uh, He was the father's favorite and caused all sorts of troubles with his dreams and all that. So first they thought they'd kill him, and then they decided, now we better not kill him. So they sold him into slavery. Genesis 37, you can read about that, and that's how he got to Egypt and God's providence. Uh, That's how he got ready to save his people. Great story glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week so we can answer some more of your questions. Uh, Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.